We are in the ninth week of a 10-week preaching series on what a healthy and missional church is. By healthy, we mean pursuing Christ. By missional, we mean pursuing Christ's passion in the world. The icon chosen is the outpouring vessel. As God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has generously poured himself out for us, and as people created in God's image, redeemed by Jesus the Son, and being transformed into his likeness by the Holy Spirit, we are to be generously poured out for others. A couple of just quick notes before we look at today's text for the message. These are basically foundational points on this sermon. Number one, God's ways are generous. In Exodus 34, we read, The Lord then passed in front of Moses and called out, I, the Lord, am a God who is full of compassion and pity, who is not easily angered, and who shows great love and faithfulness. I keep my promise for thousands of generations and forgive evil and sin. But I will not fail to punish children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations for the sins of their parents. Here's something important to note. Sin matters to God. Bad behavior matters to God. And it has consequences. And it does end up flowing down for up to four generations. We must take our behavior seriously. God has laid out what happens. Let us not go there. Let us allow these generations to have hope and peace. But also note, I keep my promise for thousands of generations. A generation in the Hebrew community is 40 years. Thousands, just 1,000 means 4,000 years. 40, this is thousands, not just 1,000. 40 years is a generation. 4,000 years, he will pour out his blessing. This is the generosity of God. Sins matter. His love is that much more. And secondly, Moses directs God's people to be generous. Way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a wonderful book. Deuteros 2, Nomos Law. The second law, or a repeat of the law. He's giving it in a speech. It's a long speech. If you've read the book of Deuteronomy, you probably didn't do it in one sitting. Or if you did, you sat a long time. This was a long sermon. We won't go quite that long today. That's supposed to be funny. (laughs) Some of you were thinking, I hope he's serious. (laughs) In this wonderful sermon to the children of Israel before he left and before they went into the promised land, we read, "If If in any of the towns in the land that the Lord your God has given you, there are Israelites in need, do not be selfish and refuse to help them. Instead, be generous and lend them as much as they need. There will always be some Israelites who are poor and in need, so I command you to be generous to them. The call is for generosity. To launch this message, I'd like you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the church in Rome, chapter 12, the first eight verses. I'm reading from the NIV. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all, all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think the very first thing Paul is saying to the church and saying to us here at Bethany today is this. God wants an available body. God wants an available body. Everything about our life, our real life, depends on the mercy of God. Paul is urging the believers in Rome and us to respond to God's mercy by literally offering our bodies. Paul calls this a living sacrifice. And this goes against the entire experience of the Hebrew community because they were used to dead sacrifices. Because they knew that the brokenness and the sin of their lives required the payment of death. And so they would sacrifice animal after animal after animal after animal, laying their hands on their heads. And those the blood was just incredible. In fact, having been in Chicago for many years in the late 60s, the slaughterhouse on the south side of Chicago was an incredible place to see. And it didn't even come close to what happened in Jerusalem. Day by day by day. They had an entire underground sewer system strictly for all the blood that was being shed, for all the animal sacrifices that were being done. So when Paul is writing a living sacrifice, bam, that's a whole new thought. Jesus gave up his life as a sacrifice to pay for our sin, my sin, your sin, the sin of all the people in the whole world. And now Paul calls believers in Jesus to give up their life for Jesus and take on the life that he makes available for us. Paul calls it holy because it's focused on God. Paul calls it pleasing to God because it puts a smile on God's face. Wouldn't it be nice to realize that you are putting a smile on God's face? Okay, maybe not. No, I think you would. It's amazing. Paul calls it worship because it is the proper way to worship God by giving him our life. Paul continues to intensify this message in two ways. First, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. To conform is based on the Greek word schema, meaning outward form. Our schema is always changing. You're always changing. You're not wearing the same thing today you wore last Thursday, or at least as far as we know. We, we dress according to the experience we're going to go to. Now, I'm a firm believer that in heaven, the material that we'll be wearing is denim. And the shoes on our feet will be cowboy boots. 
It just feels right to me. I love denim. But when I put my jeans on and it's Sunday morning, Carolyn just looks at me and I know I need to change. It's just not going to work. It worked in California in a few churches I was in. It won't work here. Just something about it. We, we change our scheme all the time depending on who we're going to see, what we're going to do. We wear different clothing, different outward shows of ourselves. What we look like in our teens and how we behaved is not how we look and behave, hopefully, when we're in our 40s or our 60s or to include my group, 70s and above. We change the schema. Don't settle for life and let it squeeze you into the same mold as everyone else. That's what Paul is saying here. Do not be conformed to this world. Instead, he writes, be transformed. That word is morphe and literally means the unchanging essence. Paul is saying, allow Jesus to transform himself into you so that you will have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the attitudes of Christ, the behavior of Christ. And we can't do that personally and individually. It has to be done corporately because we need all the help we can get to be transformed. God is not so interested in our ability. He's interested in our availability. He wants an available body. You see, now this is very important. God doesn't make us into a better us. He's not looking for a better Craig or a better Carolyn. She reminds me that God will not improve on her. She's perfect already. I love her. God isn't now about to make a better us. God is making us a new us to be transformed, to become like Jesus. God does this with us personally and individually, but his goal is that it would happen to all of us together. At, that, at creation, God declared, it's not good for the man to be alone. All along, God planned that life should be about we and not about me. The pronouns of the Bible are we, us, and our, not I, me, and my. We need to recognize that in the music that we sing, in the way in which we talk, in how we think about others around us. We need to draw a bigger circle to include more because that's what God is all about. He has drawn a circle that includes the entire earth. And he calls us to be about that kind of drawing of circle and include and push the me aside. I didn't bring my phone up here. I think I've said this before to you. Anybody have a phone on them? Oh, come on. Own up to it. All right. And how many of them have a phone made by Apple? What's it called? It's called an iPhone. Get it? iPhone? Come on. That's the world squeezing us into its mold. I'm not against Apple. I have an iPhone too. But it's about we, not about I. It's about us. It's about our. Paul understood this. And so he continues to write that this new me in Christ and the new you in Christ is about us. In other words, we're uh, not only an available body, we're a networked body. 
Three things to say on this. Number one, none of us does it all. And that may come as a surprise. None of us does it all. It's true. I can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. It's also true. God can make anything and all things possible in me, but I do not do all things. I do not. Nor do any of you. It's impossible. This is why Paul tells us to think clearly and not too highly about ourselves. We need each other for things to really get done and done well. None of us can do it all. Our life is a matter of faith, and faith is not something we can muster up. Faith is a gift that God chooses to distribute. None of us has it all. None of us does it all. Got it? Second, all of us can do some. All of us can do some. What I do know is that I and each one of us can do something. Together, you and I, each of us, all of us, can do all things because we belong to each other. I belong to you. And I want to say it that way only. I belong to you. I could declare that you in Christ also belong to me. But that's your choice. That's not my call. That's the Scripture's message. But you need to choose to belong to others. I belong here at Bethany. This is where I belong. For now, I don't know how long, whatever. Where do you belong? Who do you belong to? The person sitting next to you or near you, perhaps? What about the whole body? First service and second service. All the kids, the grandkids, the grandparents. We choose to belong. God calls us to do that. We're to be a network body. None of us doing it all, all of us doing some, and recognizing I have a choice and I choose to belong to you because that's what Christ wants from me. And Paul, thirdly, is very clear. We are to be a functioning body. Not only available, not only networked, but functioning. And here he gives a a brief list of some spiritual gifts. These spiritual gifts are not... um, totally given to us. We don't have in the Bible all the spiritual gifts. I mean, I'll give you one example. I think there's a spiritual gift of music. It's not listed in the Bible because he didn't give an exhaustive list. And there are people who can take music and make it do what music's intended to do. Grab the heart. Do the job. When, I, when I'm in a place where music is done extremely well, it is so easy to preach because the heart has already been stirred and grabbed and shaped and encouraged. And then the word of truth that comes out from the Scripture just comes so easy. It just comes so easy because our hearts are already grabbed. That, that bell choir this morning, I mean, that grabbed me. That was just, it was beautiful. And it was good to see who was in it I thought, wow, look at the people up there. I know them. And they're making incredible music together. Thank you. Same with the choir, week after week. So this gift list is not inclusive, not all inclusive, but just a couple of them, very quickly. Prophesying. Prophesying is not the gift of prediction in the New Testament. Prophesying is a gift of proclaiming God's truth, so that it powerfully impacts the hearers in the New Testament. 
This gift is about declaring what God wants to accomplish in the lives of those who have surrendered their body to Jesus. In the New Testament, prophesying can also be understood as preaching. It is the preaching ministry. Paul's simple message from the message is this. If you preach, just preach God's message and nothing else. I've been to both Sunday school classes. Wow. Do you know the gift you have for learning and growing and letting the scripture just etch its way into your whole being? I'm telling you, this is a blessed place. People with the gift of prophesying, of preaching, of teaching are there leading. Second gift, serving. This is also known as the gift of helps. Basically, this gift is the ability to see what needs to be done and then doing it. I have several friends who have the gift of seeing what needs to be done and telling me I need to do it. I'm sorry, that is not a spiritual gift. That's a control person. Because the real gift of serving is being able to see what needs to be done and then doing something about it. Because you're serving. See, the powerful message of a believer's life are not their words. It's not their preaching. It's their living. Service is the highest order in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, The greatest among you will be the servant of all. You know how to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Serve. When I was a high schooler, my family always invited guest preachers, missionaries, the occasional stars of the world that came to our church at Seattle first to come live with us for the weekend that they were at our church. And we invited the world's greatest athlete to First Covenant, Rafer Johnson. Grew up in the Kingsburg Covenant Church. Rafer was an amazing human being and a wonderful athlete and follower of Jesus. So I got to spend time with Rafer. I I was very impressed. He was a a big guy. He was a bigger-hearted guy than I anticipated. We had in the basement at Seattle first, we had a men's room. How would I describe it? A bad outhouse. It stunk and they couldn't get rid of the smell. And we had a father and son gathering with Rafer on Saturday night before worship the next day. And I walked into the bathroom and I knew Rafer because he'd been staying at our house since Friday night. And I walked in and I was stunned. You know what he was doing? He was picking up other people's paper towels that had thrown them on the floor rather than the garbage can. Simple thing to do. And he was picking them all up. He had the gift of service. He saw a problem. He did something about it. The gift of serving. Paul's simple message, if you help, just help. Don't take over. Just because you see what needs to be done and can do something about it doesn't mean you're in charge of what everybody else needs to do. Just help. Don't take over. Teaching. Teaching is the gift of instruction, the ability to impart truth to another. It could also be called the gift of study. People with the teaching gift love to study, especially so that they can help others learn. Paul's simple message, if you teach, stick to your teaching. Stick to it. 
encouraging, also known as the gift of exhortation. It is a gift that warms the heart and warns the heart. It draws people into action. Unlike teaching, the gift of encouragement or exhortation is not so analytical. It is deeply touching. It has an emotional aspect to it. It is passionate. And you catch it. Paul's simple message. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. Translated by the message. Giving. Oh, now he's going to talk about money. Yep. As followers of Jesus are instructed to give, it is a natural response to all we've been given. Jesus said, freely if you've received, freely give. The people with this gift, whether wealthy or not, live their lives to give in all aspects of relationships. They're just givers. They give. We all are meant to be a part of that. And perhaps some of you have that gift. Paul's simple message. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. Leading. This is the gift of administration in 1 Corinthians 12. It's the gift of planning and organizing and implementing a project. It is quite apparent, at least to me, when someone has this gift. It's also quite apparent, at least to me, when someone in leadership does not have this gift. A clear way to know if a gift is genuine in someone is to note, if they have the gift of leadership, you must ask, are there any followers? If a person has decided they're a leader and no one's following, they are self-deluded. They're not leaders. Leaders have followers, not because they're forced upon, but because the way this person is going and how they organize and how they plan, how they fulfill what's being looked at, people will follow them. It will just be that way. That gift has clear consequences called followers. Paul's simple message in the message, if you're put in charge, don't manipulate. You can't sustain that and you will not remain a leader. That is not leadership. That's power being exerted. And finally, number seven, giving mercy. This is the gift of blessing in a time of trouble, a gift of forgiveness when all others are passing judgment. It was the gift that Barnabas clearly had with Paul when he was Saul. He had experienced a turnaround in his life. He had been redeemed on the road to Damascus. But the apostles were skeptical of his conversion. They thought maybe it was a trick so that he could get in with them and then arrest them And what he had done to Stephen could be done to all of them as well. But Barnabas steps up is the bridge that connected Saul, later Paul, to Peter and created that whole movement of the gospel into the Mediterranean basin. It's because of the gift of mercy that Barnabas had. Imagine what would have happened if Barnabas had not exercised his gift, if he had not done it, and there'd be no Paul. I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine. I don't need to imagine because he did. Paul's simple message is this. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Be delighted to be able to help someone.
in giving mercy. Paul's call to the church in Rome is basically this, do the gift. That's what generous living and giving is about. Do the gift. You got to know it, what your gift is. If you don't, I'm glad to help you. There's ways to discover it, no problem. But doing the gift is essential. Today, we, the church in Berlin, are being called to do the gift God has given to each of us so that together the fullness of Christ that none of us can do all of, but all of us can do some of, will make it possible for this church to be doing it all because we're in it together. So how do I apply this? This last week, I was driving home on the Berlin Turnpike. I love my trip back and forth. First, I get to go to home, which is nice and sleep in my own bed. But also I get a chance to think about the day before I get here, and I get the chance to wind down from the day before I get home and have just a wonderful evening with Carolyn. But I was driving home on the Berlin Turnpike when I came alongside a box truck. It had this slogan, any load, any time, anywhere. Any load, any time, anywhere. That is exactly the message for today. That it's like, that's what it's like to live the Christian life. That's the application of living and giving generously. That's the key to the gifts of the Spirit being lived out in our lives in a community. Any load, any time, anywhere, we're there. I added a fourth phrase. One further image before I pray. I had the privilege for several years to take groups of high school young people to the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. They had called us by the, from the Navajo Gospel Mission and asked us, this is a long time ago when I was young, to come down and run a Bible school for the uh, Indians in the desert. And so we got camping gear together and we camped out in the desert and uh, set up shop to run Bible schools for the, the children of the Navajo families. And they would come riding in on the bareback on their pinto ponies, which just got our kids all, they were so jazzed, it was unbelievable, because they learned how to ride bareback on a pinto pony in the desert of the Navajo Reservation. And we had wonderful experiences. We learned how to eat things like rattlesnake. Well, we tried. It was awful. It is so grisly. And it doesn't taste like chicken at all. But I had the privilege of meeting with the chief, the Navajo chief. It was a great honor for me to meet with this chief, and he was a fairly young man. He was older than I was at the time, younger than I am now, and his father had been the chief before. And it was because of his father's acceptance of Christ that he had become a Christian and made it clear he wanted this gospel mission to succeed and the Navajo children to learn about Jesus. So I asked him about his experience as a child watching his father and then coming to faith himself. And he told me this story. His father, who was not a Christian at the time, went to the head of the missionary community of the Navajo Gospel Mission and brought to him three gifts, a blanket, a peace pipe, and a pony, and said to the lead of the Navajo Gospel Mission, I want to give you and your God these gifts, my blanket, a peace pipe, and my pony. And there was a long silence. And the missionary said, God doesn't want your blanket. 
or your peace pipe or your pony. And that was stunning. Even this young boy realized this was a serious breach of etiquette. He didn't even know that word at the time, but it was serious. This was something's wrong with this. But the old chief was very wise, and he said, well, what is it your God wants? And the missionary responded, God wants you. It was long silence. And then a smile came across the chief's face, the young boy telling me this story, and he said, you are a very wise man, and your God is an extremely wise God. Because he knows if he gets me, he gets my blanket and my peace pipe and my pony. And that's the reality. That's how it is. If he gets us, he gets our stuff. As he shared all of his stuff with us, he calls us to share all of our stuff with others. He wants us so that whatever we call our blanket, whatever we call our peace pipe, whatever we call our pony, we're willing to share that wherever we are. God is not looking for our gifts. He's not looking for our tokens for life. God wants us. And then God gives us with his life and wants to live out his gifts through our life for others. Generous living and giving is the mark of a healthy missional church a mark that reveals and authenticates a church that is truly living into its vitality. This, my sisters and brothers, is the gospel of God. This is the gospel. It is holy, it is true, and I say to it, amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your generosity toward us. May your generosity find a welcome home in each of us. By your Holy Spirit, grow our generosity with one another and with those who have yet to believe and surrender their lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.